my lovely podcast friends. How are you doing? I sincerely hope you are doing fine and I hope that your life is going great. Uh, the week is in half, so already three days, you know, the second and a half day, or in the third day to be exactly. Yeah, you're right, I'm not really awake. So that's the way it is going and how we are happening and moving on. I was thinking, and just if you just look at the news, it's definitely clear. Yesterday, the, the United Nations, the bureaucratic institutes got together. They got all this bureaucratic people together. At the same day in the Netherlands, we had the budget for the next year announced and also a ceremony with basically means nothing I mean in the Netherlands someone tweeted that Prince's Dag or Prince Day uh, is the way as we call it uh, is nothing more than day activity for politicians and high government bureaucrats and that's right but I don't care about those things because that's the place where they can't do any harm for the society and the world having that said then I let's move on because I don't think that anyone cares about the Dutch budget from a government that is going away that at the moment there is really nothing on it, just they are moving on. Okay, having it said, it is time to have a look at the United Nations Security Council. As you know, I'm not really a big supporter of the United Nations. The reason is easy, it's too bureaucratic, it's not working, it's not functioning, and it's nothing. It's, uh, I mean, on the Bush Senior, sadly it was right, if you bloke, take 10 floors and get them out of the UN building, no one will make any difference. It wouldn't be any difference. If you look at UNICEF, who is doing a lot of things for kids, then they are doing things. And at once, Pampers, uh, the diaper manufacturer, decided to take on one disease. Hey, and they take on the disease and they win it. And what's there to miss? The United Nations of America, the President Trump, had his moment of glory at the United Nations. And his moment of glory was clear what he was doing was talking the way the people that voted him in, the people that trust him, the people that gave him the power and make him the commander-in-chief. What they did was simply telling what they want. Standing behind the Africa, everyone who needs freedom, protection and simply let the way the American people live, let that shine on the world. I mean, I'm not really a big fan of Iran. I don't think that, for sure I know, I'm really not allowed to get into that country. And no, that is not because I do a lot of terrible things. It is just that I also have a password from the government of Israel. <laughs> That's how easy it is. <laughs> and they don't accept it, for sure I know. And I'm not really interested in it, so I would not go into it. But having that said, it's no problem. I mean, every country has the right to determine who is in, who's allowed in and who's not allowed in. And if I'm wrong, then I will sincerely Invite someone of the Iranian government for an interview about it so that we can put it straight. That's the way we do it. Um, but the United Nations Security Council and basically Trump was talking about Rocketman North Korea. And I had to think about it and I was thinking when he was talking about it. And I only got it in the news because I have way more important and better things to do than looking at the United Nations Security Council. I mean, let's face the fact. Chavez, Gaddafi, they're all gone. There's no more fun. The funny guys at the United Nations Security Council were those two. Well, they are gone, so, well, let me take a sip of coffee. When they are gone, then we just simply have to look at what's happening and who really cares. I mean, we got now a lot of people talking about a lot of things and basically nothing happens. And that's all. I mean, sincerely, in my opinion, you can kick out the United Nations and keep the United Nations Security Council. 
And like John said, we were in the interview about dollar collapse, we, the chances high that we move to a world government with IMF, UN, or one of those terrible institutions that is spreading diseases, hunger, and poverty around the world. But hey, don't get it from your own. If, you, if you're living in poverty due to this, we're all living in poverty, so it's all good and fine. Well, having that said, then I must admit that uh, today we got a great guest in the show. It's Nick Ho. Nick is a business banker, and now would you say, "Little bankers, did they not cause the financial crisis?" Uh, no, the financial crisis was caused because people got a loan and that could not pay back the loan. The loans are all. I mean, no one forced you. Those so-called ninjas, no income, no jobs, no assets. Those loans. Let me be clear. Those people were not forced to sign. There was no Kalashnikov on their head from sign the loan. It was their choice. What the banks did and the the companies did provide people and customers with the needs that they want. And that's no issue. That's for me. Just what an financial institution has to do. Offer what you want. Well, uh, he works for Northwest in London. And Northwest is part of the Royal Bank of Scotland. The Royal Bank of Scotland is nationalized and what you saw with the RBS is they were playing smart strategies in buying the other banks. I think that they are one of the banks that did the most purchases, but I'm not necessarily sure. And at the moment, that bank is basically owned by the British taxpayer. So he is nothing more than a government bureaucrat and a government employee. Sorry, Nick, just... I sincerely hope that RBS will simply sell, not the rest, and... Simply let the bank go on its own. Simply do an IPO and keep all the divisions and just... Get it out. And to give you, to give my lovely listeners a clue, uh, within RBS Group are codes. I mean, it's a big, co- it's a big financial institution. There are the codes, a uh, big wealth management division around the world is there, and it is for me just a question: what's happening and what's going on? But the, the, why you always need to have a lot of bankers in your network is easy. Bankers have a lot of knowledge. They see a lot of business plans, and I see a lot of people starting out with a company, starting out with an idea, and. They don't have a plan. They don't have a. They don't put a budget together. And I don't say that it's fun. I don't say that's joyful. It's. I just say it's needed to do. And what I would say is have a look at it. Just look at what's happening. Look at what's needed. Take it from there. Make a step. Take go from step to step. Movement to move. And then there are great things. I mean, if you look at Nick, he, he sees more business plans a week than I see a year. So, that says something about reading. And here's just one bank. There are so many bankers. And the great thing about all those banks is as they want to have you as a customer, they're going to help you. They're going to put you forward with... Uh, and they have insights on a lot of customers and the financial data. So, that's why I would say go out and talk to a banker if you want to start a company. Because there are always risks. I mean, I know someone who's interested in starting a restaurant. The business plan for a restaurant is, in my opinion, bloody different than the business plan for a dropshipping e-commerce solution. So, I would say then it's time to have a look at a really boring but important topic. And it's time to have a look at the importance of a business plan. And, well, here we go. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks Thanks for having me. Uh, The pleasure and honor is all on my side. Um, You're a business banker and a mentor from Northwest in the United Kingdom. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, why should people write a business plan? 
Well, uh, good question because uh, not a lot of people want to, to write a business plan. I think think it would be fair to say in the early stages. Um, I think the reason why um, is basically because let's kind of let let the uh, uh, the genie out of the bottle. The business plan, whatever you write in terms of what you think the business is going to be about or what it's going to be achieving, will not be a hundred percent accurate. So again, it adds further weight to the argument that, well, okay, so if it's not going to be right, what's the point in doing it? And, and the whole point really is to ensure that you have got some sort of judgment, you've got some sort of expectation about where you think that business is likely to, uh, to reach. Um, it, it kind of brings together all of the ingredients that you need in order for that business to uh, become established and, and to hit the numbers that ultimately you're thinking it, it will be uh, possible to reach. I think one of the major challenges that people have around the business plan is actually because they start working on it early. Um, so uh, at NatWest and certainly through the businesses that I work with, um, we certainly encourage people if they're in the very early stages of the business plan, so here we're sort of talking about the, the desk research phase or the, the field refer, uh, research stage, i.e. Mm -hmm. the points before you test trade the idea, we would uh, encourage people to use the business model canvas which is actually a very very good tool that people can use which keeps all of the key uh, ingredients that any business is going to need to uh, consider and research it keeps mm -hmm. them in the front of your mind but before you kind of waste the energy of putting it into a full business plan because if you do it too early you put a business plan together you know very very well it's all going to change so it's too early to be putting the plan together so I like the concept and I like the techniques that people use with the business model canvas that allow them to research all the key areas that the business is going to come up against um, and then uh, once you get to that stage where you're beginning to kind of get to beta testing or test trading depending on the type of business that you're launching then that's the point where the full biz plan would uh, would, would probably come into uh, in, into its uh, validation if you like um, the other side to this and this is I, I'll never forget um, one of the customers that, that I kind of work with and regularly reviewed and one of the successes that she found was that she needed to promise herself that she would um, find some time to work on the business as well as in it. Um, and I think, again, this is where the business plan can kind of come back to show its value. And, and again, the best way here, and the best tips that I've learned from customers that I've worked with, is when, for example, you've got your forecast, your financial forecast, uh, and you've got month one, we're going to achieve this, month two, we're going to achieve that. That's the kind of projections. I, I kind of encourage people to add an extra blank column after each month. And the idea being there that you adding your actuals. So once month one has been and gone, mm -hmm. what you would then do is you then say, well, this is what we thought was going to happen. Um, but now month one has been and gone. Well, actually, what has happened? What's what's the truth? What's the kind of reality? Um, and so you can then compare very, very early on 
exactly how the business has turned out versus your early projections and what we tend to find is that very very early on if people are true to that and they're finding time to, to work on the business rather than just running away with satisfying customer orders and, 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 and mm -hmm. acquiring consumers etc then actually what they find is actually there are some very early pointers in terms of okay the business is actually going off in a slightly different direction or perhaps that marketing method was more popular for us or crikey we need to keep a control on some of the costs here um, and that gives people the ability to stay close to the business as it actually uh, grows and uh, as it transpires so that for me is, is, is a real key aspect in terms of the business plan coming in at the right time so not starting it too early, use techniques like the business model canvas in the early stages and then using the business plan as a tool to regularly revisit how the business is performing. And you say not too early in the firm or in the project, what would be a good moment within the company or within the ID to make a full business plan? So, so my um, my sort of uh, judgment and call on that would be uh, having used the business model canvas in the early research stages, I would probably start to um, uh, develop and build the business plan before you start beta testing or you start test trading, just depending on what type of business it is that you're launching. Um, so. The idea there being that you've kind of gone through researching and you've really found uh, what your customers want, you've found out what problem you're solving for them, you're finding out exactly how you can stand from uh, out from any competitors that there may be in the market, but crucially before you start putting uh, insurance policies into place and hiring teams and paying out money for prototypes or for um, a, a, a sort of a, a pop-up shop or whatever it might be that you're you're needing then that's the time for me when that full mm -hmm. business plan would would be uh, completed okay and would you say that also dropships and e-commerce startups should have a business plan because I see a lot of people starting out with dropship IDs and web shops without a plan or should they make a plan or should they use the canvas model or start making at least an excel sheet or yeah I, I, w I would always strongly argue for for a business plan um, and, and, and the reason for that is that um, yes there are certain types of businesses whereby um, we can we can kind of get lucky um, and we mm -hmm. can be in the right place at the right time but for the truly scalable businesses they're never about one person they're, they're always about the success of building a team, of scaling a business. Uh, and the danger of not writing a business plan means that it's all in that kind of founder's head. Uh, it's all in that founder's mind. And, you know, God forbid, if, if something were to happen to that person, um, then it's very, very difficult to um, actually see, um, you know, how that business can continue. What we also have to think about is p potential exit plans for um, for the business. So, you know, there are a lot of founders potentially doing really, really well very early on. Understandable, you know, that they're not wanting mm -hmm. to put a business plan together. That's fine, but that will hugely impact on any bidders or or any sort of exit strategies that you might have because 
a lot of the VCs and a lot of the uh, other corporates that potentially may see you as, as, as a good acquisition, they really want to understand how that business operates because, you know, you as the founder, you're not mm -hmm. going to be there. Um, once they've acquired that business, you know, perhaps over a period of time you might phase uh, yourself out. However, in the longer term, you are not going to be there. And so what they want is the confidence and the belief that actually that business can run and continue with the success that you've built uh, and allow that to, to be considered as a successful acquisition for them. So we, we have to think aware as well about the longer term sort of needs for the business plan and, and, and as to why, why it's valuable for those as well. And what are the biggest errors you see as a business plan in a business plan? Because you are a banker, so yep. I'm pretty sure you will see more business plan than the rest of the people that will listen to the show together. Because yep. how many business plans a day you see on average? Yeah, um, well, I, I, my, me and my mm. teams, we will probably see and we'll probably be reviewing something like five, six, seven business plans every day um, because, wow. you know, we, we're looking at all sizes mm. of business, you know, business banking, which is the part of NatWest that I work in. Uh, we help people right from the early top stages right the way up to very early stages of, of uh, their existence uh, and probably turning over something like up to two million pounds of, of sales. So, you know, you can imagine the, the variability of the businesses there. Um, I suppose in terms of the common themes or the common um, mistakes, if you like, that, that people make, I'd probably, um, I'd probably fall into three uh, categories, really. So number one is put the business plan together yourself. Mm -hmm. um, we do see uh, examples and situations where the founder has kind of got an advisor or someone to kind of put the plan together. Again, their heart wasn't really in it. And again, I, I understand that. Um, however, this is this is effectively your your route map. This is what your business is going to do. This is what the business needs to take it from current situation to uh, to where you you see it going. And for for the owner, the founder, the, the driving force behind that business, they've really got to understand that plan really really well. Um, so one of the challenges that we often find is that you, you can kind of ask a couple of questions just to kind of clarify a few things and it can become clear that actually that founder, that business owner hasn't necessarily put that plan together themselves. So I would always argue as difficult as perhaps you might find it, you know, it is absolutely worthwhile getting under the fingernails knowing the DNA as to what makes your, your business tick. So that, that would be the first thing. Second thing would be, um, and again, this has come out through experience of working with so many businesses, um, it's easy to start a business. Mm -hmm. um, the challenge is actually to find something that's long lasting, that is actually gonna be successful with the audience that you're um, uh, sending it and marketing it to. And so there is a, a phrase that we use, uh, and that is to fall in love with your customer's problem not your solution to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so sometimes through the business plan, if, if perhaps that's the first contact we've had with a business or a founder, um, sometimes it can become clear that actually there hasn't been enough research done 
in terms of finding out exactly what the market wants. You know, it's kind of a, mm. uh, important that the founder is passionate um, about what it is that they're doing and what they're launching. Absolutely, you know, we'd never want them to, to lose that. But sometimes, I mean, it's in the case that I've perhaps had a dream, I love a certain type of food, there's nothing in my area that offers that type of food, and therefore, you know, I'm going to go and launch that to the market because I'm sure everyone likes exactly the same as, as, as what I do. But the truth is that not everyone does. Um, and so falling in love with your customer's problem means you've got a rough idea of what it is that you want to launch, mm -hmm. but actually you're not so hung uh, on what that final picture of what the business uh, will look like. You're, you're, you're prepared to give it time, you're prepared to listen to feedback, you're prepared to listen to uh, the competitors, you're prepared to listen to suppliers, you're prepared to listen to trends within the market that mm -hmm. says, actually, although I know I want to work in this area, I'm not too hung up on what that final um, business model will, will look like. So, so that's a key learning. And then finally, um, there's also a need, particularly in those early stages, to be successful as an entrepreneur, you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and Definitely. one of the things, uh, and one of the things that, that can can often come out in the early stages is when people have done the field research. So yes, we've gone out and we've asked 50 people what they think and 100 people. Actually, when you dig down, all too often it will be friends, it will be colleagues, it will be family that they've mm -hmm. asked, and. I, I encourage people to, to, to ask friends and family and colleagues because actually you need them on side, you need them as a cheerleader to help you because you know there are going to be so many hurdles and obstacles uh, that you're going to run through and you need their love and, and support. However, what you need to do more than anything else is to recreate the situation that you will be in on day one when that business is up and running and trading. And that means you've got to sell your product or service to strangers. You've got to sell it to members in the general public who don't owe you anything. They don't mm -hmm. want to buy from you just out of sympathy or just because you're a mate or, or what have you. They buy it because the product and service is offering a solution to a problem that they have. And if you haven't done that in the early stages when you've researched, there is that challenge that says, well, what makes you think that you can suddenly do that when you're sort of uh, up and running and trading and actually the pressure is really on. So, you know, be comfortable being uncomfortable whilst you work through those uh, field research stages would be absolutely something else that we would we would endorse and, and, and strongly recommend for people. Okay, so is it also what you're really looking for in a business plan when someone, one of the five to seven, pops in and asks the team for guidance? Yeah, I mean, um, we're looking for, for a whole host of things. So uh, one is kind of the initial pitch. Um, and, and it's so important that um, that founder has presented their product or service in a very simple and very clear way. Um, I, I can recall a, a sort of tech business that uh, I was kind of introduced to. I can remember sitting there for 45 minutes having had a conversation, having had a meeting, and still after that 45 minutes, not yet being clear on what it was that they offered the market. And, you know, I'm someone, uh, you know, I was being patient, I was trying to understand, see how I could help and support. 
if I'm a stranger in the marketplace, <laughs> I'm not going to give them 45 minutes to kind of, you know, go through and keep asking them questions. You've got to be so, so uh, clinical, really, in terms of getting that message across. So the initial pitch of the business is hugely important. I think the most important ingredient that we look for before we delve into the, the detail is the person themselves. Um, and I think we, we certainly come from a, a background that says um, you can have the best idea in the world, mm -hmm. but if you haven't got the right person driving that business, then it's very unlikely to, to kind of come to fruition uh, and get to the size and the scale that it's looking for. So absolutely having someone who's passionate, enthusiastic, knowledgeable, knows exactly what they want to see, what they need, but is not, uh, not afraid to get some good, honest feedback in terms of how they can continue to improve the model is absolutely vital. Mm -hmm. um, so they're the sort of uh, the initial um, things that, that we, would, we would look for really in a person. You kind of put yourself in, a, in the shoes of a, a new customer or a prospective new customer. Would I want to do business with this person? That's the question that you, you're always looking to kind of try and answer for uh, you know for yourselves. Okay, so is and do you have a um, general tip for everyone that if they pop in with a whatever bank or co-worker, if it's not West or whatever bank they choose, that mm -hmm. the bank will be just really happy to have them as a customer and just be the perfect bank for them. Just a tip or something. Yeah, so so I would uh, obviously I'll answer it with with my Nat West hat on. You know, I've I've worked mm -hmm. with uh, with Nat West for, for for the last 23 years, and and what that has enabled me is to see so many different businesses, not just the sectors and the size, but also the different ambitions of the business owner. Um, now the bank, uh, and, and pretty much in in most countries, um, mm -hmm. the bank will not have all of the answers. What I would expect the bank to have, and, and certainly we pride ourselves on, is the networks. So as a business owner, you've got lots of plates that you're looking to spin and keep up in the air and, and keep everyone happy. It's impossible to be uh, an expert at all of those different areas. So what we look to try and do in order to best serve our customers is to actually have a, a situation whereby if there is a question that that customer has and we're not able to answer ourselves either through our expertise or our colleagues that we have actually got contacts connections in our trusted network that we can refer them through to um, and so my role for example for NetWest I've worked with universities work with colleges work with co-working spaces with accelerators uh, I've worked with councils, uh, I've worked with a fantastic charity here in the UK called Prince's Trust. You know, it's quite wide ranging in terms of some of the different fantastic organisations who can each support customers in different ways. Um, so that's the one thing that I would look to try and make a real difference. Um, you know, we, we try to be more than just a provider of financial services. That's the thing that obviously every bank does. Um, but what we try and do is, is differentiate ourselves by saying, well, that we really do understand some of the challenges that you're facing. And actually we have a lot of help and a lot of support that either ourselves or our networks can actually help you out with. 
Okay, and then one final question before I will let you go. Uh, you're in the United Kingdom. If I'm right, you're living in London, or at least working in London. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Living in London would be expensive. <laughs> but yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's terrible. I once got a real estate broker who offered me a studio to rent in London. Just 500 pounds yeah. a week. Yes. And I was thinking, yeah. there's 2,000 pounds and I have the rent and I need to have council tax, food, drinks, guns, wet, uh, utility. Nah, not gonna happen. <laughs> it's amazing. Mm. But the Brexit just happened and they are talking. Yeah. What do you think about what's happening from a banker side and what difference yeah. do you see in London? Um, so, so I think with with any change, um, which undoubtedly um, Brexit will result in, um, it, it, it has a confidence issue. So, people, whether you're a business, whether you're government, whether you're uh, customers over in the EU, um, we're all kind of uh, uncertain at the moment, and that has an impact on confidence. So, what I would say there is that. Um, you, you do set, uh, get to see some um, challenges around the longer term plans mm -hmm. uh, and that's very much part of what you are seeing the business community try to feed back into government that says you know we need to have some more clarity as early as possible I think one of the major uh, issues for um, business uh, community is the issue of talent um, and we are so, so lucky mm -hmm. in London to have so many developers, to have so many co-founders, to have so many teams which absolutely rely on the talents that we are able to draw from uh, outside of the, uh, of the UK. And that is a major concern for businesses that operate. Um, so I think um, uh, the sort of topic and the challenge has been certainly registered with government, and I know it's it's kind of uh, regularly on the the radar um, as to how we kind of wrestle with this problem that says we you know we want to be able to continue to attract and retain you know the right talent in in London, um, but the rest of it unfortunately is kind of um, outside of a lot of people's control, um, and um, it, it's just a case of. For now, trying to continue with what we do know, um, but then trying to make sure that any concerns and any particular problems are raised and, and registered with the right uh, with the right bodies. Okay. Well, I would say, is there any final thing you want to say? No, I just uh, thank you and uh, for the opportunity, uh, and thank any of your followers and, and listeners. And if I'm able to help and support any of them, then um, please do uh, get in touch on uh, on Twitter. You can uh, follow me, uh, Nick N I C K underscore underscore How H O W E, uh, or uh, reach out on LinkedIn, and uh, I'll be delighted to uh, try and see how I may be able to support anyone. That will be great. And in the show note pages, I will place a link to your LinkedIn and to your Twitter profile. To both. Fantastic. So that's it. And Fantastic. It was an honor to have you on on a tough and pretty boring topic, but really important if you love your money and love your success. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If you buy into it, <laughs> it, it it'll be worth the pain. It'll yeah. be worth the pain. <laughs> okay. Hey. All right. Okay. Good to speak. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, that's that. What do you say about the interview? Um, I would say leave me a comment. He is saying a lot of valuable things to you. 
He brings interesting insights. I would say take the additional column uh, in your business plan. Take it as a sincere step. I just implemented it because I thought it was a really smart move. Uh, yeah, you can send me a tweet. You can tweet me at Lodewijkhof. You can leave a comment below on SoundCloud. You can take it out, take it all out. Um, I would say go for it. Let me know what you think about it. I look forward to hearing back from you. And I will talk to you later on. Cheers, mates.